Hello and welcome to the Forging Fathers podcast. I'm your host, David Miller, and I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you so much for tuning in. In this podcast, we explore the roles of men in our society. We focus on fatherhood and the role of dads, past, present, and future. And we discuss with guests all the ways men are impacted by society and how they can step forward with more purpose and clarity. I hope you enjoy. This week's guest is Mark Walsh. Mark teaches embodiment, trauma education, and anti-decadence. Through books, conferences, a podcast, and his own training, he's had fun educating several million people. And he said to me, he never hopes to get a real job again. So, Mark is incredibly gifted at what he does. He's very intelligent, very witty, very smart, and very fun to talk to. So, please enjoy this episode of Mark Walsh. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, David. Good to meet you. Excellent, excellent. So I just wanted to um, give you an opportunity just to, to introduce yourself and like the work you do to the listeners so that everybody understands. Yeah, my name is Mark. I'm most associated with the word embodiment. We can get into what that is. Uh, so I train a lot of coaches, uh, I've done work in areas of conflict, most recently in Ukraine, trained businesses, NGOs. Um, I've, you know, I've worked with this sort of the counterculture side of things from like yogis and meditators which is part of the work I do right out to the sort of really mainstream side of things. Um, so yeah, I guess the main things I'm interested in the body, how the body and mind interrelate, you know, that impacts on all sorts of areas like stress and leadership and all, all sorts of things um, right through to sort of the state of the world. And um, you know, the idea of being in a decadent society is what I've been very interested in in late. Mm. Um, so sort of embodiment, trauma, decadence, they tend to be my areas. What is the kind of number one thing that you've noticed around the state of the world with with regards to embodiment, trauma, and decadence that you can is like your number one sort of takeaway? Uh, number one, I mean, we're not in our bodies. That's just the part of it. <laughs> so historically, the context is we're in a decadent period, a declining empire, and that comes with certain features, you know, to do with consumerism and masculinity and all, all sort mm-hmm. of you know, hedonism, all sorts of things. Um, yeah, in terms of trauma, you know. <laughs> It, it does impact many things, but at the same time, there's been a sort of politicized overstating of trauma that is also worth looking at. So um, I'm not sure I can say one thing, but there's a few there's a few comments to open us up. Yeah, I mean, interesting, the, um, the, the note on decadence. I want to come back to that, but just in, in terms of embodiment, could you give a, a, like a description of what embodiment is what is embodiment and why is mum has been asking that for years you know every time i say <laughs> what is it you do again um yeah i help people get in their bodies so embodiment is being at home in your body and um you know we can define it as a kind of intelligence so it includes like bodily self-awareness self-regulation even things like empathy you know a lot of charisma kind of leadership skills will be included in the under the area of embodiment we can also think of it like as a um uh, an umbrella term for all the different arts that deal with a person through the body. So, you know, if you go to the gym and I go to the gym, you would probably just looking at the body as a physical object, you know, sort of like a brain taxi, as someone once said. Um, now, that's one way of looking at the body. Another way of looking at the body is it's a part of who we are. And in a way, that's common sense. If someone loses a limb, you know, like friends in Ukraine or whatever that are dealing with that, if someone loses a limb, you feel like part of you's gone. It's not just like you lost your... I don't know if I lost my favorite nail clippers here or whatever, you know? So the body is a part of who we are, an aspect of who we are. So sometimes you'll hear embodiment defined as a subjective study of the body rather than the body viewed as an object, which is, you know, true in another way, right? You can dissect the thumb and the 
look at the number of bones in there. It's just another way of looking at a body. And is it in, in, in the way that there's a lot of information the body can give us? Because I know there's, you know, there's neurological centers in our, in our gut and in our heart. And, you know, we're receiving so many sensory, so much sensory data from the world. But if we tend to process it with our brain too much, it becomes overwhelming or it can lead to lots of different things. But if we use our body, is that something that you would consider embodiment? Like when you're using your body as a, as a data tool? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're actually everything's involved in the body. So, like, people talk about the brain, but you know, the nervous system is distributed throughout the body, including mm-hmm. the gut and the heart. And you know, obviously, your hormone system affects things. You know, like anyone who's taken hormones will tell you that affects how you think. You know, or you know, people that have cycles, their hormones that will tell you that affects you. Or you know, as I've got older, I've noticed certain things changing as the hormones change. So, uh, how we think and how we see the world is embodied. I mean, that's kind of common sense, you know, like if you're on holiday and you're really relaxed and you're open and happy, everything looks great. Your thinking mm. changes, right? Your thinking changes. Like one of the things I say is like, you know, when do you have your best ideas? And I've, I put that to groups and everybody says in the shower or the bath, on the toilet or going for a walk in the countryside. That's like 90%, 95% yeah. of answers when I ask like roomfuls of hundreds of people. And why? Well, because you're in your body, you're relaxing your body, and you're moving your body in all three of those cases. Um, so your thinking just works better, you know? So in terms of optimizing our thinking, our changing our perception, how we're perceived by others, our emotional states, I mean, those things are all embodied. It's, it's almost nothing that isn't embodied, because even if you're sitting at your desk sending emails, well, who's the one sending emails? It's you, right? So that's why it can apply to a load of different areas and it isn't easy to pin down because you know are we looking at the embodiment of creative thinking are we looking at the embodiment of parenting are we looking at the embodiment of leadership in a business setting all of these things involve the body what would you say makes us disembodied there's a number of theories on that i mean there's a few different factors so technology is one i mean another one is we are just hypercognitive creatures you know, dogs don't sit around thinking about tomorrow and making plans for what bones they're going to dig up or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, like most, you know, a dog can dream, but a dog's mostly in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Most animals are. So some of it's probably just we're wired to have this um, kind of virtual reality system where we can remember the past and project into the future, which is great, but it also means we're a bit less present maybe than other animals. Uh, Technology has maybe confounded that. I, I think trauma is another one. You know, trauma tends to numb the body. Mm-hmm. or make the body a sort of you know a place where people don't want to hang out kind of thing you know can not or isn't always pleasant like i get a lot of pleasure from my body these days but there's definitely a time when it was just uncomfortable to be in a body some people would say you know culture civilization some people would take it right back to kind of agriculture certainly there's a a postmodern trend to say we're not our bodies and you can identify as this or that that has nothing to do with the body um, you know, we're trying to sort of post-humanism is a trend which is perhaps supported in the media to sort of say your body doesn't really matter. So we've maybe religion says the body's sinful and to, you know, to be in touch with the body is somehow to be far from God. That's a tradition that you'll find in the Greeks, you'll find in certain threads of Christianity and Islam, for example. Mm-hmm. The body is somehow bad and sinful um, and, you know, the mind is good and pure. So there's the whole bunch of sort of philosophical traditions and situations that all confound to mean that embodiment needs to be done as a job. It needs to be, it's a piece of work there. And, um, you know, there's things you can do about it too. There's good news, but um, there's certainly the case that uh, it's not typical for someone to be in their body. 
and that can impact on so many things like i did training in conscious sexuality um this year and you know that that in itself like when we're disconnected from our body and when there's any shame attached like particularly you know i say for men but for women as well like there's so much shame around our bodies and pleasure and getting pleasure from our body and experiencing pleasure in in its most pure state yeah absolutely so there's some ways we can't avoid the body right like sexuality it's like well you know like yes the mind of course is involved but that is a bodily thing and if if we're not in touch with the body we good luck being in touch with your sexuality let alone anyone else's and you know Mm -hmm. having that rapport and connection um and you know there's self-regulation needed around that as well right you know i remember what it was like particularly when i was young you know it's kind of out of control so it's it's good when to build that self-regulation around that so there's a whole bunch of embodied factors but yeah like for sure that's one area where people bump into the body almost unavoidably you know that is going to come up so and um, in our society now we're being so disconnected with the prevalence of you know internet porn and that being so such a huge distraction and turning us off from disconnecting us from real life experiences essentially and that that's the same across loads of different areas in life but this one particularly can be damaging especially for young men yeah i'm not an expert in that but the evidence i have seen is pretty pretty damning and i'm glad glad i grew up without it as it were you know i'm glad i had that formative period without it and certainly sort of cognitive hyper stimuli visual hyper stimuli that that is certainly dangerous uh, and that's just one of many things. Do you know what I mean? Like one, another one that get, doesn't get talked about enough, for example, something like computer games. You know, people mm-hmm. like, like I remember what it was like to play computer games loads and to just then suddenly go, I'm about to wet myself because I need the toilet and I haven't noticed because it's been like two or three <laughs> hours or whatever that I've been sitting there. Yeah. And, you know, people just watching Netflix all day long. I mean, even just throughout your phone, you know, if you get out your mobile, it's so enticing, whether it be the social or the games, you know, even if you're going to porn, it's so mm-hmm. enticing that it grabs your attention and the sort of subtler but very important signals of the body and I, you know i joke about things like the toilet i mean these were just the biological signals but there's also the signals of like how am i doing emotionally you know am i going for a grieving process am i off purpose with my life um you know am i just how happy am i am i trusting this person my intuition my creativity all of those things are more subtle bodily processes than just needing the toilet and with all this kind of mental noise it can be quite difficult to pay attention to that stuff it's interesting what happens in the mind as well i was literally talking about this yesterday with somebody about how when people um get lost in games when you know adult men particularly are gaming heavily they tend to choose like hero games like games where they're saving someone they're rescuing something they're destroying something they're there and they the brain cannot determine whether that's a real experience or a fake experience so they come away with these levels of like felt heroism in their body and they you know walk out of their room and their wife looks at them like ah, hell are you doing and they think they're a hero but they meet this reality on the other side of the door that's like oh no and their self-esteem goes yeah yeah and i'm not against all these things you know particularly like certain things that might be healthy there's like a war gaming club you know locally where guys meet other guys and have a beer together and hang out and their things can be really positive you know as well and i i don't you know i don't want to be a hater i think it was um john peterson talking to rafe kelly that talked about that in one of their interviews together mm. you know rafe is sort of kind of a bodyman guy they might call it something different and um yeah for me man has that search for meaning and has the search for heroism the heroic journey and we need to fulfill that somehow and you know that's kind of hero porn right 
it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a sort of a fake version of the real thing and it can give us a little pump but i think on some level we know it's not real on some level um i you know i never saw someone who was like a heavy heavy gamer at the expense of having an outside life who had great self-esteem and i don't you know I don't, perhaps there are people who are they call it esports and things now they're sort of champions in that area i'm getting outside the realm of what i know a lot about what i would say is it's definitely something to be cautious of and if your life uh if that that compensation there's something called compensate compensatory activities where someone does something as, as a compensation for not achieving in the rest of their life and if we're investing more and more heavily in fantasy whether it be being the you know the awesome guy online who destroys uh, sjw's arguments with facts and logic online you know that could be another kind of fantasy life right Mm-hmm. And, you know, I moved to a small town and part of that was just going, okay, where is their community? Where are their real relationships? And never prioritizing social media and never prioritizing fake online relationships, let alone games, right? At least at least social media, there's another human being at the end there somewhere, right? It's not just mm-hmm. the algorithm I'm, I'm interacting with. Uh, so I'd, I'd say there would be the, the warning signs, like, is any rather than me judging anyone else's behavior just say like is it taking you so far out of your body that's unhealthy and is it some kind of compensation that's actually stopping you achieve in the rest of life well you know maybe it's something you do an hour a day is a bit of light relief and there's you know just like watching a movie you know like i you know watch let's say i watch i probably watch about one movie a week at the cinema or just mm-hmm. on, you know, online it's 90 minutes of my life just to chill out and get away from all my own stresses and concerns and watch some robots blow up some dinosaurs or whatever it is you know so um there's, there's worse things if it's not if it's not like you know you're disembodied when you're watching a movie but i'm not doing it for hours a day amazing and you know what how, how do you feel um disembodiment or the need for embodiment impacts men in our society do you feel it impacts men more than women or well some people would say women are more naturally embodied you know due to sort of culture cycles there's there's been sort of a long Western historical associated with men with mind and women with body. Mm. Um, and sort of, you know, you think of sort of breastfeeding and menstruation and stuff like that. It's very bodily. Um, and I'm not saying that is the case, but there's certainly been historical kind of association there for better and for worse. Um, you know, men with mind, as it were, women with body. Um, yeah, I, th- I think for guys, you know, we are encouraged by uh kind of traditional masculine roles to be more stoic which i think can be a very good thing to be well regulated in the body uh but that can mean ignoring or repressing emotions obviously there's cultural aspects i work a lot in eastern europe and other places where there's cultural you know it's different in i don't know brazil or somewhere you know i lived there for a while and men tend to be more emotionally expressive and that's fine uh, but i think there is a consequence of disembodiment to emotionality uh, to a lack of emotionality but also the other way around if we make that bad then there's a sort of cutting off of the body if you think of a a necktie you know a necktie is basically saying right cutting off everything below this that's not important civilized man is just what's above the necktie kind of thing so i think um the men's movement of the 60s that was burning neckties like when women were burning bras and maybe there was something in that and i think western culture generally from the 60s has been trying to get its body back you know, if you saw like the hippies in the 60s, they'd be like, you know, topless, dancing, long hair, sweaty, smelly, maybe. You know, I go to conscious dance, it's like hippie dance here. And it's like, there's something about like getting the body back that Western mm-hmm. culture has been trying to do since the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. And again, sometimes with an overshoot, you know, sometimes just kind of going, well, 
it's just physical pleasure that matters because we are in a historical epoch of we could say post-modernity or post-modern decadence and in that period where man lack meaning they seek hedonism so yes we live in a disembodied world but simultaneously we're uh, being encouraged to pursue bodily pleasures at the uh, instead of actually really having meaning um, I was watching Dune the other day, that was my weekend movie, I really watched the, the Dune movie from a couple of years back, and um, the Benny Gesserit test young Paul Atreides, and they want to see if he's an animal. You know, they say, put your hand in the box and it's going to be painful, and an animal will remove its hand from pain, but a human, and by human they mean a, a developed person, a developed human being, uh, not just physiologically human, uh, will could keep their hand in the box. And that is one of the things... Um, you know, men can develop is a certain discipline and a certain way of dealing with the body as a friend. Yes, not to be repressed and denied. That's one end of the spectrum, but equally not just to be an animal. And I think somewhere there's a golden golden thread down the middle, which we all try and walk. Right. And is that the difference between reacting and responding to be able to override the primal instinct and actually assess it in a different way and respond differently? Yeah. So sort of mindfulness frame would be that there's a gap of mindfulness to bodily instinct and intuition. You know, and then another frame would be uh, self-regulation, basically being an embodiment skill. So if you look at a two-year-old, two-year-old can't self-regulate for shit. Two-year-old gets upset, they have a tantrum, they throw themselves on the floor, right? And a parent has to self-regulate for them. Mm-hmm. Your nervous system does the work for them. And that, you know, I was with my niece and nephew at the weekend, and to, even at 10 and 12, that's still the case to some extent. Like my nephew wanted to, we were shopping for my nephew's birthday presents. They said, look, you can't come to the toy shop because you know, we're bearing by a new present. We want it to be a surprise. You have to stay here at home with your dad and me and your, your mom and your sister are going out to the toy shop. And you could see he was, oh, and he was frustrated and he was annoyed. And like logically he understood, but he wanted to be with his uncle. He wanted to hang out and he didn't want me to go, which is a nice compliment. But you could see him like trying to self-regulate himself, you know, and he was, he was great. He was better than a two-year-old, right? Which you would expect at 10 years old, you would expect that skill to have grown. And frankly, probably probably as good as half the adults out there are doing that. You know, most adults have like a 10-year-old level of self-regulation, unless they're doing a lot of martial arts or cold showers or meditation or something which is really building that capacity to to be with the, uh, the difficult, right? I mean, you could do that through a breath hold, still like that. I still do cold plunges. You know, you're in the ice bath. Your instinct is to just shake and get out, right? But then, you know, you stay in there, you relax, you work on that skill. And if you do that regularly... Well, guess what? You get better at that skill. So, you know, the truth is we get we get better at what we practice. And, you know, that's the heart of embodiment is you don't have to be how you are. You can you can be the better version of how you are through some kind of embodied practice. Amazing. And just yeah, over putting yourself in purposely putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Deliberately doing it is is different to deliberately do it than just have it done to you. Mm -hmm. One, that choice is very different in terms of building agency rather than victimhood. The second thing there is it's a calibration issue in that it has sort of Goldilocks, like the ice bath or the martial arts, I do boxing, you know, whatever it is. It can't be too intense. Like my boxing instructor could just beast me and kick my head in. You know, punch my lights out i wouldn't learn anything i just go away traumatized right mm-hmm. so it's you know i'd just be nervous next time i saw him and agitated or whatever it is more shut down maybe um but instead there's that sweet spot where you can build you, you can grow through uh, choosing the appropriate amount of challenge and the other thing that's different from life is you can repeat it because some people will say oh 
my job's my practice or my parenting's my practice. And I say, no, it's not. It can't be. Because you, you can't say to your kids, look, can you be 20% less annoying because daddy's trying to do some reps and he needs to keep in the sweet spot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? So Don't add resistance we, right now. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, like they just throw what they can throw at you and you cope it if you can. And it's like with Jim, you can put the weight on and take it off. You know, you can do, you can choose that sweet spot of challenge. Like, mm-hmm. I love going to the gym. I love getting to that point where I feel like I can't do any more. And then I do one more, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that means that I'm not hurting myself. You know, I tried to do two more, I might hurt myself. So I know where that point is, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of practice compared to, you know, compared to just life, which is just chaotic and stressful and just throw shit at us. So we, here's the tricky thing. We have to deliberately do difficult stuff so that we can better handle the non-deliberate difficult stuff. Whereas our society tries to provide us with so much comfort and convenience to take that challenge away. The decadence comes in to remove that, which is probably why we're so disembodied. Well, we just get weaker and weaker and weaker because you know you do need ease in your life, right? You want like, think of it like your life was like a, like a hundred, like a, so you had 10 units of life. It's not, you know, 24 hours a day or however many hours a week. Of those 10 units, maybe just one of them, you're deliberately doing hard things, right? And then two or three of them, it's just life throwing share. you like, my computer broke today just before a big, you know, training with a hundred people. I had to find my laptop. Now I'm thinking, you know, so two or three things are gonna happen like that, probably at any given day, right? And then this background stress and the world. The other sort of six or seven units, I kind of want to be pretty chill. Right. But if I just try and make everything as pleasurable as possible all the time, I'm going to get diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing is like, if you do that hard thing, the, the pleasurable stuff is sweeter. When I watch that one movie on a Saturday night, having worked hard all week, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I really enjoy it. It's not, you know, someone who used to be an alcoholic and a drug addict, I, I can tell you about diminishing returns. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you, you can look, if you're out there, men, and you're listening, if you can do the experiment, it's called addiction. And I don't recommend it and it might kill you. But if you're dumb like me and you need to do that experiment, do the experiment and, and see if more is more. Because in my experience, more became less and less and less and less. And, you know, the balance comes from deliberately doing the hard things, but also embracing joy and being a bit Italian, you know, that, that sort of embracing fun. Sometimes I feel like in, you know, England and Scotland and places like here, we, we don't always enjoy life so much either. So that's that's the other side of embodiment that's really important. I learned that living in Brazil, you know, like I was with some really poor people, but we really enjoyed life. So and that that side's also important. And that that comes a little bit to awareness of the present moment, not being too rooted in the past, which can lead to resentment, or focusing on the future, which can lead to um, projection and stress. But actually living in the present more just actually being present in that moment because it's the one time the one thing that you can actually make an inf- or have an influence on yeah i mean that's the mind the sort of essence of mindfulness that you know you're training yourself to be present which is not what our minds naturally do so it's something that we need to train again unlike a dog our minds go to the future in the past you can't change the past so it's going to pretty much make you miserable going back there and just you know being resentful or you know regretting things oh, you know i'm a middle-aged guy there's things in my life i regret i think that's not it's not unhealthy to spend a little bit of time going, you know, what have I learned? How can I be a better man? What is I'm leaving behind? You know, a certain amount of time on that. And then again, a certain amount of time you need to be planning and looking to the future. But mm-hmm. most of the activity of life's in the present moment. And you can, generally the present moment isn't that stressful. Like even now, right, I've got this 
broken computer in front of me. That's only stressful. Um, I've got my laptop here. I've got the big computer behind the laptop and it says estimating time rain. It's frozen on the upload. And that's only stressful if I look at that and think about the future and go, okay, but what about I've got to pay to get that fixed? And, blah, 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 and Is that going to disrupt my teaching tonight? And right, right in the present moment, it's just literally just a black screen with a little white apple thing on it. Like that in itself is not stressful. Like unless you're actually being tortured, unless someone's sawing your arm off, right? Which generally isn't the case, right? Generally we torture ourselves by going, but what about that? And what about that? And then we're constantly in the future that way. And in terms of mindfulness, the body is just your best anchor. You can be mindful of other things, like I don't know, a candle flame or a bell or something, but the body, the breath, the body sensation, that is just there as an anchor the whole time. And yeah, once you've worked through some stuff with the body, it is also just a huge source of pleasure, just being in the body, which um, is is great for sort of avoiding needing external things for pleasure. And you you mentioned the word anchors there. Like, what sort of anchors or you know embodiment practices would you typically use, or what are the best ones that maybe men could use? Yeah, I mean, it's different things work for different people. I'd say be very wary of anyone telling you this is the one thing. You know. So daily meditation for me is an absolute given and pretty much mandatory for my students as, as a base because it just gives you that base of awareness. And then on top of that, you know, that even that you can do in different ways. Like there's the meta practice, there's body scanning, there's different ways to do it. It's well worth sort of talking to someone who knows, you know, different approaches to give you a few possibilities, different things work for different people. So that's a good base though. And then it's like, you need something difficult. That's like a self-regulation practice, weightlifting, uh, breath holds, ice plunges, martial arts, boxing, they're the difficult stuff. And then you need something that's not discipline, that is more like going with the flow. Mm. So I like just conscious dance for that. You know, that's a great practice for me. Just anything where you're going with the flow. You know, there's other things like improv comedy that take that in a different direction. And uh, like anything that gets you in your body is great. These days, I usually say to students, like, if you like yoga, do yoga. If you like martial arts, do martial arts. The best practice is the one you'll do as long as it gets you in your body. That's level one. Okay, like for a beginner out there, he's going, oh, I don't do anything with my body. Just find fucking anything you enjoy. Mm. That's the first thing. Level two, if someone's listening and they already do some stuff, would be to say, what embodiment do you want to build? Because you can be more or less embodied, but you can also be differently embodied. Like, you know, if you if you were to spend the next 10 years doing salsa dance, you'd end up real different than if you spent the next 10 years doing, I don't know, karate you know, that would build a different way of being. I don't just mean a physical body. I mean, a way of being, it's not about being, you know, there's the fitness side, which is great, you know, being losing some weight or keeping aerobically fit, whatever strength training. That's great. But I'm not, I'm not an expert in that. I'm more interested in what embodiment do you build? And then you've got to say, does that suit my life? You know, where are the, like the weak points in your personality? Where are the strengths in your personality? So you might, someone who takes life way too seriously might be, better off doing improv comedy or that might be just a bit too much of an ask so it's like okay what's just a little step towards that well you know maybe they can just play football but take it a bit more lightly as a practice and just try and you know make it their practice to take their sunday league football game in a more light fun kind of way Mm -hmm. and that becomes the practice so you can layer things on top of anything i mean even walking is a practice i walk every day in nature I mean, for me, you can't really remove embodiment from nature connection. The two support each other. So like, you know, I try and spend two, three hours a day in nature every day on coaching calls, walking around and, you know, I just walking by the river, a bit of rain this morning, but that's not, you know, it's England, what do you expect? It's like, it's not the end of the world. And that just gets, you know, feeling the wind and the rain and walking in nature. My whole system relaxes. I feel better. It's my stress regulation. 
the, the natural part of it i'd say as well is important not just to sort of do yoga for half an hour a day or so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all these things that you're leading towards regulation you know can support i suppose our, our, our psychological um minds approaching the realms of trauma and um, you know decline uh, declining mental health or um, depression or anything like that like how what's what's your background and do you want to speak a little bit about some of the trauma work that you do as well yeah so uh, trauma is one of my main mentors paul linden who's i'm originally met him through martial arts he's in the states uh he does trauma education work and particularly around kids who have been abused or kids with special needs of those kinds you know really brave work and so i've grown up sort of in my work since i was young with trauma awareness as being a key thing because it does impact embodiment weirdly in that time it became fashionable now trauma is huge and you know this sort of trauma megastars you know we did an event called the embodiment conference and half a million people signed up this huge online event and it was the trauma teachers who were the most sort of popular famous ones as it were you know people like Gabble Mate and uh, Pete Levine, Stephen Porges, Basil van der Kolk, those kind of guys. Um, so it's become hugely popular. It's also got a bit weirdly politicized. It's kind of got this far left leaning often now. And it's it's almost become sort of through things like, you know, TikTok and stuff. It's almost become people are over self-diagnosing. So almost like everything's become trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little silly. And I, and I think again you've got two extremes right on you've got the sort of conservative extreme which says man up there's no such thing as trauma you know let's sort of like i, I just you know i've i've I, the sort of stiff upper lip old british military way of looking at it okay and on the other side of things you've got everything's trauma i'm traumatized so i couldn't get any organic soy fucking vegan milk or something right and somewhere in the middle you've probably got sanity um you know, certainly I, I was out in Ukraine last year. I supervise a team working there who've done a lot of trauma education work there. And certainly, you know, it's really helpful for people in a war zone to know what trauma is and what the symptoms are, mm-hmm. what to look out for. It's extremely helpful for people to, like everyone should know the basics about trauma. It just should be like basic education. And certainly if you're in a job like, I don't know, a fireman or a nurse or something like that, certainly should know about trauma. Teachers, school teachers should know about it so they can spot it in kids, you know, Um, because it's got really far ranging symptoms, uh, which is why some people would make the claim almost anything is trauma and then they get politicized and they start using it as a way to attack others. So there's two unhealthy extremes, I would say, in the trauma world. And it certainly, you know, brought a lot to my life to realize like, oh shit, I had a pretty traumatic background and that impacted me in a certain way. And, you know, I went through a healing journey with that and then sharing that with others. And certainly, you know, having worked a lot in the Middle East and in Africa and slums of Brazil and recently Ukraine, I, I, I kind of see the world differently now as a result of that. Uh, yeah. You know, it impacts how you view the world and many, many things. And from, from your experience, like what are the differences between men who live in countries with with a longer term like peacetime than those at war uh main difference is trauma leads to numbing and hyperarousal right so men will be calmer but not shut down in less traumatized countries so more traumatized countries they'll either be kind of agitated and fast i've had my coffee today so i'm a bit like that but like israel i spent a lot of time in israel israel's like that for example it's fucking mental it's not chill you know, I've got a lot of good Israeli friends. I've been there many times. I've got Palestinian friends too. We've done projects together. It's not chill. You know, it's like, it's, it's on edge. It's agitated. People are ready to go. 
you know mm-hmm. just even over little things like they, you know i remember someone in afghanistan this old guy said people get angry so easily now and what he meant was people were like ready to go you know they had that and you'll see that in homeless guys that got trauma they get angry about nothing you're like whoa what you look at them the wrong way and they're getting angry they're kicking off you're like mate i'm not disrespecting you but in their mind you're disrespecting them because they're seeing the world as a hostile place that needs aggression to deal with it so aggression is the big one you'll see and that leads to things like increased rates of spousal abuse and self-medication through alcoholism is the other one you see mm-hmm. so like you know eastern europe russia you'll see like a lot of alcoholism like men die 10 years younger than women in russia because of alcoholism like 10 years it might be 12 actually last i checked so huge amounts of, of drug abuse and numbing through alcohol uh, and the other one's the shutdown you'll just see like a lack of emotional shutdown and that can lead to a lack of empathy which is really dangerous for everyone really dangerous you know essentially you know someone who's numbed through trauma is similar to a psychopath not mm-hmm. the same because it's not permanent and genetic but that lack of empathic resonance is there and that when not always again but numb people hurt people people say hurt people hurt people but it's hurt people who are numbed who are able to hurt people and that can lead to these spirals and cycles of violence that perpetuate violence so you know the sins of the the sins of the father get visited onto the son for five generations if you don't do some good trauma therapy you know that should be the insert into the bible for that quote Mm, that's amazing yeah because you said you said they're like hurt people or numb people hurt people and the opposite of that is like heal people heal people and as as you were speaking there it, it was what was coming up in my mind was the difference between knowledge and experience or knowledge and embodiment so like somebody can read a book absolutely and like tell you exactly what that book says and they understand the concepts and everything versus somebody who's lived an experience and come through it and sharing that experience with you what what would you say is the difference in that yeah i mean there's this old phrase that knowledge is just a rumor till it's in the flesh various people have said that in embodiment i think it goes back to papua new guinea i'm told originally um and we kind of get that like I've, i'm god how old? i think it's 18 years sober i've actually lost track quite a few years sober and if I speak to someone who's an alcoholic or just starting to recover as an alcoholic, they get that I have a certain life experience. Or I remember like when I'm in Ukraine, I'm teaching these soldiers and I'm, I'm getting married. This is before the current war. There was, the current war is a continuation of a smaller war, essentially. And it was, I was kind of called in. It was two days before I got married and I was called in. My wife said, look, can you come talk to my hairdresser? I said, what? She said, oh, my hairdresser got drafted and him, he wants to talk to you about trauma. So I turn up and there's like him and all his mates. There's like a whole room full of soldiers. You know, I'm like, fuck, okay. I looked at my watch and I'm like, well, I've got to get the ring in 90 minutes, you know, from the jewelers. So I better be quick kind of thing. But I said, you know, I'll do what I can. And um, I started telling him a few stories and I'm dropping in some stuff around, you know, symptoms of trauma. And you can see them just look at me and go, okay, this guy's not Ukrainian and he's not a soldier, but they were like, he gets it. He gets it, like because you know I've been places and I've done stuff, and I think we instinctively understand that, you know, like it's like God love them, the twenty-five-year-old life coaches trying to tell people how to live. I mean, you know, they might have enthusiasm, they might have passion, they might be really clever, they might have something to offer, but they don't have that. They don't have that, you know, lived and been through it and that embodied life experience. And I think that is. Um, you know, like we have our cultures worshipping youth at the moment. Look at you know, the Greta Thunberg kind of phenomenon that we 
we have child crusades and we you know we we like youth because youth is somehow untouched and we've thrown away all the traditions and old people are all racists and idiots so you know it's got to be young people and young people have energy and they have freshness and they're not to be ignored but they don't have wisdom they just don't that comes through love and loss and that that takes a bit of time doesn't it absolutely absolutely and it's yeah that that lived experience the eldership that, that we've lost connection to in, in society we don't respect elders as much or most cultures um, definitely in the west don't respect elders as much as they maybe should um but you know it's kind of a chicken and egg or a perpetuating cycle you know do you just have to be older to be an elder or like how if, if we respect them now and you know they grow into eldership then they're elders like what what happens first yeah it's interesting i mean most the vast majority of societies through human history have initiated men into adulthood and we don't do that mm-hmm. you know that's something i'm quite interested in what is it to be initiated into the west as a culture mm-hmm. you know as a sort of the west being the sort of broadest brushstroke you could kind of use you know without getting kind of hyper nationalistic or kind of getting into that trap um i'm very interested in what that looks like and the same with eldership you know if we say that we have this view which has been going in western society for a long time that we call it being progressive you know like like there's always like this sort of star trek vision of the we're always we're only going in a certain way and it's inevitable and it used to have this like victorian feel like that's progress you know uh, but we still have that in our psychology in the west and what that means is that the new is always better than the old and, and i would just ask if that's true like i listen to music that can be quite old it's not all, the new stuff too but not always if I look at what are the most beautiful buildings in my town, it's not the newest ones, I'll tell you that. I mean, it's cool that they're building some eco house or something, you know, but it's probably the old church or one of the old buildings. Um, I'm just picturing you, your Instagram reel when you like, yeah, that's classical. classical. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I did a fun thing. I was in, uh, where was it? Salzburg. I did a training in nature near there. I had a day off in the home of Mozart. And uh, we did a thing of what was classical and what was sort of decadent. <laughs> and we, we had a little, made a fun reel of it. Oh, it's hilarious. What, what's interesting is once I tell people that, like even as a joke, it changes the way you look at life. Yeah. Because you start going, you know, classical doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean it's like, you know, Mozart dressing in a funny way or Roman columns or something, right? You know, generally it would just be like the most beautiful building in your town that's built with pride, that's built to embody values. It's not just yeah. it's not just like a glass building built by a bank to sort of impress everyone, you know. So I mean, maybe I'm just getting old and cantankerous, but um, I think there's definitely something in you know Western culture has sadly passed into this period of decadence, and that uh, comes with certain features that historians have seen time and time again. Yeah, they don't make elders like they used to. Um, <laughs> But um, in 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 that um, in 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 the notion of this this trauma that you were speaking about earlier, and how 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 it's held in the body, and um, how it can sometimes come to the surface, I wanted to ask about like what you felt about you know some of almost the the kind of trauma porn that we see on Instagram now with like the rise in um, like breathwork facilitators and trauma release practices, and you know whether maybe they they are dragging stuff out as opposed to allowing people to be embodied and actually feel that trauma or feel the the pain and and regulate themselves enough so they can come out naturally rather than facilitating a practice that just whoosh, whooshes it right to the surface how do you feel about that 
Well, there's a lot of strong practices, you know. When I was younger, like I did mushrooms, for example, and now it's kind of like it's not enough to do British mushrooms. You have to do like frog venom and inject it into your testicles or something, you know. Like everything's got more extreme. Like breath work's got more extreme. Yoga's got more extreme. Everything's got more and more extreme. And I think that is a sign of the cultural times we're in, of, of trying to sort of break through numbness. Um, I think with trauma, that is a risky approach and sort of gently does it is a pretty good fucking adage when it comes to trauma, you know, better mm -hmm. safe than sorry. Um, I think there's a lot of people who don't really have either the training or the experience. And I, I say it with some hesitancy because I'm not a therapist, right? Like I'm not trained as a therapist. So I mostly am a trauma educator rather than a therapist. So I want to sort of state what I do and don't do. You know, that being said, I had a 10 year apprentices with a, a, you know, a real expert in the field of trauma. I've done various other modalities, you know, like TRE, which is a good shaking one. And I really had that you know, life experience of being around trauma personally and in war zones. And I think, you know, we should be a little bit careful who we're talking to. They've just kind of young and maybe all got the heart in the right place. Um, so I think being a little cautious of that, a little bit cautious to diagnose everything as trauma. And, you know, in terms of some of the more vigorous modalities, what's the basis of them? Like, is there an evidence base? You know, there is, for example, for EMDR, which I've had, which is eye movement therapy, sounds totally kooky, pretty good evidence base. And then there's just subjectively, you might just go, you know what, this tapping thing, it just really seems to work for me. And the Ukrainian team have tried all sorts of things. And some of the things they've said worked are very mainstream, others aren't. Um, you've got to be a little bit careful with anything that say it's a release technique that's something which i'm not sure is always happening you know people screaming and shouting and stuff so um yeah definitely some some words of caution i'd say you know dealing with trauma like if you're really going to take advice from someone have, have they spent 10 years in the field you know as a therapist or teaching ngos like i have or some sort of you know real time on the ground you know hmm. and how, how what, what would you say or what advice would you give to like someone like me because i'm openly not not a trained therapist either like i i'm a coach and i facilitate men's spaces and yeah provide opportunities for men to express and explore themselves more fully but staying a little bit away from the yeah. the kind of trauma extraction side of things like how could we be more trauma informed if we're leading spaces like this yeah i think just being trauma informed being trauma educated so like there's no excuse for not spending a day on you know a day on youtube and watch some basic lectures you know the average yoga teacher or whatever move yeah, even like pt you should just spend a day on youtube with some basic you know look look up some of the big names stephen porges polyvagal theory bezel van der Kolk, look up a, a few good people and just you know read one of gabriel Mate's books you know basic stuff and just educate yourself as to what what's out there so you understand what you're looking at, what you might want to be a bit careful of. That to me opens up a lot of compassion when you see what looks like weird behavior. You go, okay, that's a coping mechanism or that's a under overreaction based on hypo or hypo arousal. Sorry, hypo or hyper arousal. Um, you know, so it builds your understanding. There's things I wouldn't do now. You know, mm -hmm. my behavior, you know, with students has changed. How I work with consent has changed. Calibration has changed over the years when I've gone, you know what, here's another option. And you know what, this might be triggering for people. You don't have to become what I'd call trauma deformed to be trauma informed. Trauma deformed would be, you know, you're treading on eggshells, using loads of weird words, just make it's just being weird. You don't have to get weird about it. I think it's just good to know in the background kind of thing. And then there's a few sort of st emergency stabilization techniques that might be worth knowing if you're 
you know, it's a bit beyond the scope of a podcast, but some stabilization techniques may be useful if you're working in with the body or with personal growth kind of seriously. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. That, yeah, that's really, really good advice. I think it's really important that we, we spend a lot of time um, researching something before we dive in, for sure. Yeah, you just know your way around trauma because not everything has to be trauma. And we shouldn't like free, like on one level, one way of looking at it, it's like, yes, everyone has bits of trauma, right? We have stuff mm. that was overwhelming that we now have inappropriate responses to. You know, it's almost a definition of trauma, that. So that that is the case. And it's worth knowing that. And, you know, if you're just dating, you're going to be around trauma. If you're running a yoga class, you're going to be around trauma. You know, the amount of yoga, yoga's got a bit more trauma in form now. But before it was, you know, I remember this, woman like saddling up behind me while I was in downwards dog and like adjusting me from behind and I was like wow if you know if I was a guy with a sexual abuse background that would just be a terrible idea you know and even even for me it was like get off it was weird you know so it's just been a, like yoga's come a long way not every teacher unfortunately but most and coaching's getting there and yeah, maybe there's a bit of overshoot in the meantime while we um try and work it all out absolutely I mean we I even had an instance where um, you know, running men's workspaces. You know, one of the companies that I collaborated with had had a had a female as part of the team that came in and set up, just set up in the morning, then left. But as she was leaving, she kind of passed some some of the men that were coming in, and that was enough to set a couple of people off. And they were like, "Well, why is there? I thought I was coming to a men's only space. Why is there? Why is there a woman here?" And it, it even that the presence of a woman, you know, you're talking about a yoga teacher sidling out behind you and like wiggling your yeah. head. But like even walking past a woman can be triggering for some people if they're not prepared for it, if they're they're experience they're expecting something else and they get something different. Yeah, I mean guys are different when there's only guys around, right? So yeah. if we think it's sort of a guy only space and there's someone else around who is it, it does immediately change things. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been on like even just like a guy's night out, and then someone says, "Oh yeah, we're bringing Susie. She's one of the lads. Don't worry." And it immediately changes. <laughs> Everything changes. Yeah, it's like even if Susie's <laughs> super cool or lesbian or whatever, like you know, it still just changes things. So it's like I think that you know that is a particular case, and I think in normal uh, containers, as it were, we can assume robustness. Like we shouldn't assume that everyone's broken. Like I treat people as if they were grown adults, and. You know, a woman walking in another context, a woman or a man walking past you shouldn't be traumatizing, right? Mm. That shouldn't be triggering. It's like, okay, like that's normal part of life. We pass men and women every day, right? Mm-hmm. So like people can get like ridiculously sensitive and then use that as a way to kind of control people and get offended. And, you know, that's a whole nother side, unfortunately, of what's happened now that everyone's traumatized by everything. And, and that's simply a way to attack people because it's a much bigger attack to say you traumatize me, right? Mm-hmm. than to say you upset me yeah so this is where we've got to be a bit careful with this stuff and say well do you actually mean trauma and should have we assumed something different like there are assumptions that i wouldn't make you know like if if i'm i don't know what example if i'm working with a group of soldiers who have been to war zone i'm not about to set off any fireworks do you know what i'm saying <laughs> so that's a that's a fair assumption you know that they might have lost some normal robustness in that in the sense of you know mm-hmm. loud noises but generally, we should be assuming basic adult robustness, and then people often rise to that rather than treat everyone with kid gloves, and then actually people, you know, lower to that. Because you know, old trauma is relative. Like it's it's, it's subjective to you in, in in a way. Like your experience of something is what created the trauma that you that you have in your body, or um, yeah, essentially that experience is yours. 
and yours alone. So you you can frame it, but it's when it maybe goes into victimhood or um, blaming other people or projecting, or like you said, um, being being maybe a bit hypersensitive and using that to attack people. That's when it becomes a little bit negative. Yeah, I mean, I say to people, I say, look, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. right if you're not a kid it is your responsibility and that might be just informing people of certain things and you know when i came back from ukraine there were certain things i was a bit sensitive to you know like certain noises or whatever from air alarms and things and you know i could just tell people that do you know what i mean like this little like i t- can still take responsibility for that mm-hmm. you know but, you know so I, I think there is that difference between saying it's not your fault but it is your responsibility i quite like that as a phrase that puts us back in that adult position and not in a sort of victim victim controller position amazing thank you so much just want to close off with with one thing because you you mentioned to me before that you're not a father but i just wonder if there was any particular advice for and um, fathers that would be listening that would support them to to be more embodied either in you know with their kids or with their spouse or partner or just in in, in life in general yeah i don't give advice on topics that i don't have direct experience of um, you know, I've, I haven't got any kids. I've, I've worked with about 50,000 kids though over the years. And here's what I've observed from working with kids that may be relevant to fathers, let's say. Uh, and in that is the more regulated you are in yourself, kids will pick up on that. Like mm-hmm. what, you know, monkeys see, monkey do. It's not what you tell kids that they do. I, I've worked with a lot of kids around the world, from out, you know, from Ethiopia to Brazil. I used to do like PGL kind of stuff with thousands of kids. And it didn't matter what you said. They pretty much, and adults aren't very different actually, but definitely with kids, they ignore what you say. And it's what you embody, that's what they copy. And they don't just unconsciously copy it, their nervous system just picks up around it. If you're angry, if you're stressed, if you're anxious. And equally, if you embody courage, if you embody kindness, if you embody virtues, I would really like society like the greeks did to start talking about virtue we need to put down our bullshit postmodern cynicism Mm. and actually have conversations about virtue and what builds virtue and how do we model virtue and that happens through the body and you know that i have consistently seen with kids around the world so uh, i think most parents would probably understand that already and maybe (laughs) it's just a little bit of a reminder amazing amazing advice right well thank you very much do you want to tell everybody how they can get in touch with you where they can see your stuff and maybe book onto a course yeah yeah i mean we do courses a lot of courses for coaches and just basic embodiment courses as well uh the main website is embodimentunlimited.com that's you know these various kinds of like trauma podcasts there and you know my book is free there. there's a pdf free copy of my book there if people want that uh, on instagram is the place where i tend to like answer questions or if people just want to say hi it just put Mark Walsh into Instagram. It's it's actually W-A-R-K-M-A-L-S-H, Walk Mulch is my Instagram. Um, and we'll put Mark Walsh embodiment. I'm sure I'll come up. And yeah, that I'll, I'll respond to people there personally as long as they don't send me their life stories kind of thing. If it's like a quick hello or a quick question, then that's a good place to grab me. And last of all, our, our own podcast, the Embodiment Podcast. So um, yeah, yeah, depending on what people like, there's a few options. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Mark. Oh, total pleasure, man. The hour's flown by, so really nice to chat. Amazing. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening into the conversation with Mark Walsh. I hope you enjoyed it. I really love what Mark is doing. I love how he communicates his message. Really enjoyed this catch-up with him. So please check him out on all of the 
socials, websites and everything that I'll put in the show notes, connect with him if you feel like you want to go on a journey of embodiment and check his work out. And as always, if you want to join us at one of our Mantra Men's Retreats for a taste of embodiment through men's work, then please check out the upcoming retreats. We have one coming up on the 5th of November in Edinburgh, which is a one-day event, and we've got a full deep dive weekend retreat on the 10th of November. And then finally, we have a day event on the 3rd of December. So check out www.mantramenswork.com forward slash retreats for more details. Much love.